Welcome to You Are the One You Seek, or title subject to change. We'll see. That's the going title now. It's been reduced from You Are the One in Which You Seek, which was a little clunky, but I do want to try and keep that central message. However, another big part of this podcast to me is near-death experiences, which I want to get into just briefly, well, briefly for me, in this podcast. So let's start off with something really simple which is the Wikipedia definition for a near-death experience, just to kind of set a little context. A near-death experience is a profound personal experience associated with death or impending death, which researchers describe as having similar characteristics. When positive, which the great majority are, such experiences may encompass a variety of sensations, including detachment from the body, feelings of levitation, total serenity, security, warmth, joy, the experience of absolute disillusion, review of major life events, the presence of a light, and seeing dead relatives. When negative, such experiences may include sensations of anguish, distress, of void, devastation, vast emptiness, seeing hellish places, and quote-unquote the devil. NDEs usually occur during reversible clinical death. Explanations for NDEs vary from scientific to religious. Neuroscience research hypothesized that an NDE is a subjective phenomenon resulting from quote-unquote disturbed bodily multisensory integration, quote-unquote, that occurs during life-threatening events. Some transcendental and religious beliefs about an afterlife include descriptions similar to NDEs. In the U.S., an estimated 9 million people have reported an NDE according to a 2011 study in Annals of New York Academy of Sciences. Most of these near-death experiences resulted from serious injury that affects the body or brain. So that's kind of a, you know, that's a Wikipedia version of it, so it's a little bit broad, but it gives you a good context. And it certainly holds true for people in my life who I actually know who have had near-death experiences that did involve any physical death, but involved some close calls, like really, really close calls and how they were essentially transported out of their body. And then there's people who have literally died that have told their story, have had no brain activity for 10, 15, 20 minutes, however long, and during that time witnessed things that were happening to their body that the doctors were doing that would have been impossible under any currently understood science. You know, if, if like the Wikipedia article says, that doctors describe it as a subjective phenomenon that's a disturbed bodily multisensory integration, whatever that means. And I'm not a doctor, so I'm not trying to mock the education level and knowledge that resides there, but that seems to me like a very wordy way to say we have no idea. And because they have no idea and they can't draw any conclusive evidence from it, then let's look at where there is conclusive, compelling, redundant evidence. And that is that these people are witnessing things outside of the body that shouldn't be possible if we're only living in a physical universe. So where the evidence comes in is where all the people who have had these experiences are able to give detailed articulation of what was happening to their bodies, what every single person in the room was thinking. And I'll kind of get into that a little bit more later. But there's truly been some very compelling evidence to me, and granted I haven't had firsthand access to it, and I realize that's not very scientific, right? But when you have these cases documented, 
and and again, nine million people in that study in 2011. That was then. There's been a lot more since. And again, the stigma has been so so high with this that people are afraid to tell their stories. So there's a lot of people right now who are just clamming up because they're in a circle where they can't broadcast that to really anybody around them or they might be seen as any number of things given all the different beliefs we have out there. But to me, this is where the evidence comes into play that was compelling to me when you have people that had catastrophic injuries, in some cases, people that were brain dead and had zero chance of coming back. It's it's like you hear those cases in the hospitals where it's a miracle. They should have been dead. Those people probably had an NDE. And a lot of times in those NDEs, people are given a choice. Do you want to stay or do you want to go back? And most people, you know, most people go, of course I want to stay. And then usually they hear the voice of their mom or they instantly are taken to a place where they see someone in, in their life currently who really needs them still. And they go, okay, I got to go back. I'm not done yet. And it's pretty wild to think that the entire experience being so full of bliss there that we would still choose to come back here, even when given the choice knowing how terrible life can get. So that must mean that what we're doing here is truly of value, or else we would definitely not come back and keep doing it once we were free. So that begs the question, what is consciousness? Is it housed in our body, or is it just being transmitted through these bodies? And then, like that law of physics that energy cannot be destroyed, only converted, it's the same with us. We, our bodies are just a, a vehicle. And so those being destroyed is truly of no consequence to our soul, to our spirit, to our journey. I mean, it's consequential in that your life means something, and certainly to the people around you, if you're alive or dead, it means something. But in the grand scheme, it was all just to teach us to remember. So I plan to have some guests on the show that are going to go into details about their near-death experiences or even ones that were borderline near-death experiences. I'm interested in people who have had spontaneous or even guided out-of-body experiences who can astral travel. I've been really fascinated with the Monroe Institute and the Gateway Experience, and I've been trying to do the audio kind of out of order and unfortunately with, I think, enough distractions that I haven't been able to fully get to the point where I'm ready to travel outside of my body. But I've had some really profound sensations and relaxation doing those meditations. But they're designed to help you actually leave your body and explore the non-physical universe. So really, really stoked to continue with that. But the crazy thing about the Monroe Institute is that the CIA actually investigated it way back in the day. I shouldn't say investigated. They looked into the, the, the likelihood that any of this was true and they actually released a document saying it's confirmed that it works. They get into all these descriptions about the absolute, which is source, and how we're projections, holographic projections existing in the universe. And I mean, this was in a CIA document. Now, granted, you can take what the CIA says and trust it about as far as you can throw it, but it doesn't mean that they're, we'll just say their broken clock can be right twice a day. 
what's interesting is that you can actually have some of these journeys and experiences without dying. And I believe that all the people who have had NDEs that came back and can articulate them, they chose that ahead of time to happen in their life so that they would be able to make others aware. And to me, that's the most powerful message that I can sort of telephone to you is how much that, that, that those stories have impacted me on a very personal level. And I believe that was their intent, right? Was to go beyond just, well, isn't that an interesting story? Isn't that a weird thing to happen to that person? And instead go, wait a second. Do I have kind of the entire picture upside down and backwards? And you do. Just think about it. Literally, our vision is upside down and backwards. There's, And don't ask me to explain the exact medical details of how our eyes do this, but basically the image comes in upside down and backwards, and our brain has to flip it right side up and correctly. So we're even literally seeing our world upside down and backwards. And that's a very good sort of symbolic metaphor for the ego, that it allows us to see the world in a certain way, but it's a very limited way, and it's a very self-serving way. But there's also this constant voice that's speaking to us that I believe is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit isn't something you have to pray for. It's not something that is gifted to the righteous. We are, we are from Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is here to speak knowledge into our lives, and there's a difference between knowledge and perception. Knowledge is unalterable. They can't be changed. It's absolute. But our perceptions are absolutely subjective. So trying to met out knowledge from perception is kind of like dividing ego and spirit, because spirit can only speak truth. It can only impart knowledge. It can impart perception or judgment or any of that, only truth. And it's our mission and goal to just slowly ingest that voice and, and to, to switch from allowing the ego to sort of run an autopilot and, and be able to identify the ego when it's screaming at us to do things and, so, and just say, you know what? You shut up. Leave me alone. Go away for the day, please. I have higher matters to attend to. Maybe frame it however you want. You don't have to be you know, to say it like that, but it's about, to me, just trying to understand the distinctions. And then within that, I believe we get discernment on what is beneficial to us on a soul growth level and what is just kind of here for our amusement and is not really of any value. And there's plenty here that's just amusement, and we can mess around in that all we want. There's nothing wrong with doing frivolous things. In fact, I believe at its peak, frivolity will be the highest value. And, and by that, I just mean playing and, and creating and, and joy and no need to dominate, control, fix, subjugate, any of that. It's just completely about playing in our own natural creative freedom. And when our heart's oriented towards joy, we're going to create up joy. We're not going to create hellscapes, which is why I think we have to go through all this so that we, when we are finally given back our powers of creation, or we just remember them or however that works out, that we'll only be creating from a place of joy and love and not out of the, the angry and disillusioned part of our ego that thinks it's separate from source. And really the ego is separate from source. I've kind of talked about that. 
The ego is the creation of our physical minds. It's the vehicle for experience, but it's not really even recognized by source or the spirit. It's just allowed to, be, you know, it allows all things to be however they want to be with the knowledge and understanding that all things will eventually gravitate back towards the light because we all have that core of light within us. And I've been redundant. I'll say some of the same things over and over because they're important to me to drive home. But just imagine like a tiny little ball of light inside of you that has a string, an invisible string, golden string, attached all the way back to source. That as far as you fall into the darkness, that tether is always there. It's not going to allow you to just fall into complete oblivion. There are guardrails. We, we didn't create this in a way that we could be so lost and confused that we would just utterly destroy all things. Because that would be possible. If we had no guide back, we could easily go down the rabbit trail of just complete annihilation. I mean, it looks like that's what's about to happen here on this planet half the time. And that's with the knowledge of goodness within us. That's the war that's happening inside of us, right? In my opinion, I will always book into it with, these are my perceptions. I'm trying to draw them more from a place of knowledge, but I, I don't have the discernment yet to really know where my perception and ego ends and where my spirit and true knowledge takes over. So it's better for me just to assume I'm mostly talking out of my ass and let you sort out, again, what's good for you and what's not. So near-death experiences. So I'd like to highlight a few of the YouTube channels that I really like to go to for near-death experience videos that are really high quality, good audio, stuff that's important to a, a geek like me, I guess, which really I'm mostly concerned about the content, but it helps to have something that's easy to listen to or watch. So I'll give you a couple channels again. Coming Home, Anthony Shane Productions, and I'm, I'm sure I'm saying his last name wrong. It's Anthony C-H-E-N-E Productions. They have some fantastic videos on there. The Who We Are documentary is incredible. It really covers everything from consciousness to multiple near-death experience stories and just sort of wraps it all in this package that makes complete sense about who and what we really are. It kind of reframes the entire model of what you've been taught. And it's about an hour and a half long. Really well worth it. Can't recommend it enough. So there's Coming Home, Anthony Shane Productions. There's Shaman Oaks, which is another really good one I like. There's Other Side NDE, and there's a couple other NDE ones that I can't remember the exact titles of, but it really isn't hard to find a lot of these videos online. One of my favorites is with a doctor who's originally from the South, but now lives in Ireland. Her name's Mary Helen Hensley. And I watched her video last year and was so inspired by it. My wife was so inspired by it that I actually emailed her and just said, hey, that was incredible. Are you still... I didn't know she was in Ireland still, so I was hoping she was in the South and I could go visit her and she could do some magic on me. But she's been in Ireland for 25 years, but she reached back out to me almost immediately. And she sent me a link to some audio tones that are essentially solfeggio frequencies. So those are going to be, like, for example, the 639 hertz frequency is kind of known as the communication frequency. It's, it's something you want to use if you're meditating on communicating effective love to the people in your life. And I should mention real quick that those solfeggio frequencies are literally tied to our chakras. 
So they're supposed to resonate with our seven chakras that are the energy centers in our body, and they correlate to our ascension back home. I'll let you research that on your own, but that's what the different tones resonate with. So you won't actually you know, feel something within you necessarily vibrate or change, but you're actually causing your cells to vibrate at a certain pattern. Like they've done, you can do this with sand on a, on a board or glass or whatever and have the frequency playing underneath it, and it will literally create patterns based on what frequency is being used. And that's what's essentially happening in your body when you're using those solfeggio tones is you are organizing your cells in your body to vibrate at sort of the same frequency. So that's kind of what the solfeggio tones are. And that's a reason that's part of my email address because I love that. I love that tone. And she sent me that along with a couple other binaural beats to listen to for sleeping and everything else. It was just so generous and, and wonderful, and she just is a very gracious and open human being, and just very authentic, very herself. And her story is incredible. I mean, she died in a very terrible car accident when she was younger and had a very profound journey. And her story about what, watching what her father went through when he died, and just see, she was born actually with some sensitivities already to the spiritual. She could... She could pick up on things that most people couldn't. She would even know stuff like if someone in town died, her mom might call her, and before mom could even tell her, she's like, Mr. Jones died, didn't he? And she'd be like, I hate it when you do that. But She gives a better example of that, but it's, it's really interesting. She obviously has what feels like a bit of a head start compared to some of us, but either way, that doesn't diminish the amazing nature of her story. And, you know, you hear her tell it on multiple channels, and it's, extremely consistent. That's the one thing too that really is remarkable is these people's stories are so clear in their mind, you know, at a time when their brain was completely shut down, they basically said that their consciousness never was gone. It was never out. You know, sometimes we black out and we kind of forget things, but our consciousness is not actually ever out of the picture. It's always functioning, always on. And people have described just that flow of consciousness never stopping from the moment they were hit or died, or whatever happened, they were immediately aware of everything that was happening, but just with a completely different perspective, with their love goggles on, I guess. So, again, without having firsthand experience, I'm simply here to tell other people's stories, and to hopefully expose a new audience to this concept that we are more than our physical selves, that religion and rules and order are largely a byproduct of the ego, and an attempt to understand the world through a very limited judgmental lens. And now I I realize I have a lot of people in my life who are going to disagree with this quite heavily, that are still Christians or Mormons or whatever faith they belong to. And again, I'm not here to insult, offend, or upset my friends and family, but I'm here to speak my truth boldly and proudly because I believe it's as important as I thought it was important to share the gospel of Jesus when I was a kid. You know, back then I was told, well, if you have the cure for cancer, would you just keep it to yourself? Of course not. You'd share it with everybody. So I was a good little evangelical. I was very zealous early on. I remember when I moved to Washington State at the age of seven and was in these apartment complexes, and I was just trying to be a little missionary boy and witness to everybody and save the world. I had no concept of how things really were. 
And now I've kind of regained that, that childlike enthusiasm to want to bring light to people because now I actually feel like there's something to it that is resonant in a way that was never there for me trying to take the messages from the Bible and fit them into my life now. You know, especially the Old Testament. I just don't have a, a clue how Christianity justifies so many horrific passages that deal with, you know, the, I mean, the walls of Jericho, okay, and the Canaanites. God commanded the Israelites to slaughter every woman, child, livestock, cattle, everything. Not to leave a single living thing, to take the women for themselves. I mean, a holy God talking about complete annihilation and subjugation and rape as perfectly acceptable because the Canaanites were so wicked. Well, I think we can see where people use the Old Testament God to still justify merciless slaughter and somehow are compelled that this is the righteous will of God. Or in the words of Christopher Hitchens, why are we taking our cues from Bronze Age Palestinian goat herders? And that's absolutely no slam on Palestine, to be clear. There's no hero or villain in the Bible for me, which in my mind kind of makes it a bit of a, a hot mess of ego meeting fragments of, I believe, truth. I believe there is actually, I believe that there are definitely chunks of information in the Bible that are resonant because I believe there was an attempt to spread that message from many different people. In fact, Yeshua and the Yeshua channelings who came as the person of Jesus on this earth he said that he also came as a few other people to try and share the same message. Not that you need one person to save you, but that you are fully capable of saving yourself from this fantasy or illusion that you're separate and you're cut off and you're judged. You can save yourself from that just by remembering. Yeshua was literally here to hold up a mirror. That was it. And that, what? What do you mean? Well, Yeshua wanted us to see the divinity within ourselves. So he was here to literally be a mirror for us. We look into his eyes and we see our own divinity reflected back to us. And in fact, Yeshua goes on in these channelings to say, I am not greater than you. I am not more powerful or worthy or holy. I am the same as you. I just happen to have more time to move up the ranks kind of deal. Like Yeshua had more time to advance and so they were in it's you know this might vary from channeling or whatever but it sounds like Yeshua was in about the sixth density which is getting pretty close to back home and they were at a point where they were so connected to the divine that but they saw the pain and suffering happening on earth and just sort of this vicious cycle of warfare and misunderstanding and Yeshua wanted to come here to help us and thought that would be in maybe in the form of kind of being a great ruler or king or whatever, but Source just said, I want you to hold up a mirror and remind them of their divinity. So Yeshua said that his results were very ambiguous. When he came, that his disciples were constantly confused. They deified him and pedestalized him constantly when he said, no, the kingdom is within you. Have I not said you are already gods yourselves? There are many examples throughout the New Testament where it appears Jesus is trying to tell us, his disciples, that that salvation lies within, that it's not required to go, that sin doesn't have to be punished, there doesn't have to be a human sacrifice or a blood offering or any of that stuff. That is all based on our 
tragic misunderstandings of how to attain our own natural holiness. And so Yeshua was just here to be like, look, I'm not special. I'm just a messenger of your own specialness. I'm actually showing you the light and love from your ascended future selves, which I I know is a, a head trip, but essentially, if you think about it that way, it makes sense. If we've already reached our ascension, but it happens in a place where time doesn't exist, then we're experiencing this in a kind of non-linear way, truly. In fact, I've been under the impression that when we choose lives, we can choose them at different points in history, potentially. You may not come back to the current timeline. You might go back 400 years to live this other life. I mean, trust me, I really don't know how all of that works. A lot of speculation again. But the core of it is that Yeshua came here to bring us the love and energy from what we've already accomplished and not through any conquest or buffeting our bodies or punishing ourselves or seeing ourselves as unworthy, miserable sacks, kneeling at the throne or face first at, at the cross. All of these images are so empowering to the ego because they imply that through physical acts, through some sort of penance, can we earn something that isn't even ever outside of our grasp. It's never something we actually have to earn. We just remember it. So, yes, this is way off track from the NDEs, but in my mind, it's very, very similar. People who have had NDEs have experienced meeting their higher self or what they perceived as Yeshua, and people who died seeing Shiva or Buddha or whatever else had just as relevant and incredible of a journey. It's really, I think, in that case, it's about orienting you towards back towards your home. And at first you might want to see something that's familiar and comforting. So I, I believe that, you know, our guides or angels, they can probably take all kinds of shapes and and show up as something very familiar and comforting. But I, don't ask me to really give you the deep knowledge on that. I'm, again, piecing this together from other people's experiences. So if you've had a near-death experience or another profound moment or breakthrough that really was a defining turn in your understanding of your inherent value, I want to hear from you. You have the keys, 639 at gmail.com. Send me an email and just let me know your story, and if you want to keep it between just the email, that's fine, or if you want to maybe come on the podcast, all you really need is a microphone, preferably a at least a podcast microphone or something that is external from your laptop. But even with that, I have a program I can use that records really high-quality audio between remote parties. I found that out firsthand when I was on my friend's podcast, Bon Bon's Nook. We used that for the first time, and it worked so well that it really inspired me to even start this podcast because I realized I had a pretty viable option for speaking with people across the ocean if I wanted to and getting high-quality audio so that hopefully the podcast would be fairly enjoyable to listen to. It's it's hard for me to not get distracted by like really bad quality audio because I I went to school for sound engineering. I'm a very much aspiring musician. And so I, I hone into a lot of details like that. So it's important to me to have something you don't have to get totally distracted by with the production value or whatever. That being said, I'm very much an amateur here and just doing my best to piece together the little you know, background I've had in my life that kind of gave me a few tools here. 
I did do radio broadcasting in high school, but that was 25 years ago. Yeah, I'm old. And I've certainly had a lot of customer service experience and just learned a lot of, about the different kinds of human beings that are out there. I was so closeted for so long in, in a very you know, Christian bubble, and it wasn't until I finally took jobs at you know, regular places and worked with any number of people on the spectrum of LGBTQIA+. Oh, crap. Look, if I butchered that, I promise you it is not intentional. It has very much to do with my 41-year-old brain not being able to keep up. But I can't also express the love and support that I felt, the pride I felt for the people I worked with who were embracing who they were. And oftentimes that didn't conform with the way they were raised and they were told was normal. And of course it didn't conform with mine. I was always told that homosexuality was purely lust-based and that people were just on autopilot and, and just savage animals pleasing their every whim. You know, and I, I'm still a little bit hurt that I was given so much blatantly terrible messaging. But this was the early 80s, and satanic panic was absolutely at its peak. And homophobia was not only completely normal and acceptable, in, in especially in Christian circles, but it was almost a major mark against you if you didn't speak out boldly and directly. And I'm thankful now that I grew up with that, because it, it showed me the other extreme of just why our ignorance guided by propaganda is such a dangerous fire to play with. And the more we other and just assume things about people we've never interacted with, the more we damage our own view of ourselves. because what we diminish in another, we diminish in ourself because the other is just another I. Everyone you see is just another I. And we can't quite grab onto that yet because it doesn't. It's like no, there's somebody else. No, they're we're literally all connected in a way that we can't even process here. So the more that we divest from all these ingrained views about how to size each other up and what camp to throw each other in, let's let's just strip all that back. Let's write a new script and say, you know what, you're none of the things that I assumed you were, and and let's start from zero and let's. Let's show each other our hearts, and we can make discernments from there. But let's not believe what divisive people in power are saying to continue allowing us to be distracted with their games while they are also stealing and taking from us. And another comfort for me there is knowing that they're really not able to steal or take anything. They might steal and take our nourishment, our lives, our well-being while we're in these bodies. But again, that's all a temporary experience. And when we let go of that fear, even the fear of death, and say that I trust that I will be back home and in so much better shape than I am now, then we can really begin to live our life. It's kind of like the Fight Club quote that I have resonated with my whole life. It's only when you've lost everything that you're free to do anything. And I used to think that was a metaphor for giving my life over to Christ. And in a way, it still is. It's about giving my, my ego's desires over to what I know deep down is a more fulfilling pursuit, which is just to seek out love and to try and 
be the light wherever I am and to make sure that other people know that I see that light within them. That's what namaste means. The light within me sees the light within you. Or you can say soul or whatever. You know, people sort of swap those terms. So before I get too off course, I would like to at least give a, a brief breakdown of how I understand the body versus the soul versus the spirit. The body is merely the physical vehicle for your soul to experience different lives, different bodies, different forms. So the ego needs the body, but the spirit doesn't need either. The spirit is completely intact, whole, outside of time and space, in perfection, in a state of grace forever. It can't be harmed by our decisions or actions here. It can't be altered in any way. It can't be manipulated because it has no ability to receive anything back. It's only giving. It's only shooting out its love energy. There is no need for anything to return back to it. So the spirit is that part of us that is outside of this entire hologram. It's the part of us that is the most like God, that God or source or the absolute or the unalterable or whatever you want to call it created us to have the same creative powers as it. But first we had to learn about, again, why we want to create out of love and not ego and darkness, which you can't actually even create from. You can only temporarily confuse yourself. You can't actually build anything out of darkness because as soon as light shines on it, it dissolves. It doesn't even hold up. So it's not even actual, it's not even actually a real thing. And that's an abstract concept, but maybe you kind of get my metaphor there or my meaning. And now that I'm so far off topic from near-death experiences, but at least I'm sharing my heart. This is the stuff that is in my head and my mind all day long. And my hope is that you will take whatever resonates and leave the rest. And within the next episode or two, I definitely plan to have on a few guests who can help kind of make make the show a little more dynamic, not just one guy monologuing all day long. I do enjoy sharing my opinion, but I also really don't like being so one-sided. I, I really thrive off of other people's perspectives and, and their lives and, and their opinions and their vision of things. It's, it's super fulfilling for me to step outside of my own little echo chamber. So again, if you have anything you want to share with me directly, a story, you maybe think you have something that would be great to make an appearance on the podcast with, you have the keys 639 at gmail.com. Just like it's spelled, just like it sounds, you have the keys 639 at gmail.com. And stay tuned because I'm going to have a lot more interesting content and guests that are just really going to inspire people. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the future of this podcast, and I'm excited about the future of our souls because they are all heading towards ascension, all at different rates, all at different paces and levels, but it's all happening for our benefit. The world is not happening to you. It's happening for you. Remember that and go in love. Namaste.